Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Meg Stafford. Her new book is Who Will Accompany You? My Mother-Daughter Journeys Far From Home and Close to the Heart. Award-winning memorist Meg Stafford has an adventurous spirit, and this time she takes us along for the ride. When her daughters venture into terra incognita, one of them meditating in the Himalayas and the other providing unarmed protection in the Colombian countryside, she decides to go too. In the process, she reflects on her own lifetime of wonderlust and what it means for a parent to love and let go. Generous, insightful, and deeply funny, she is the ideal tour guide for a journey as big as the world and as intimate as a human heart. She illuminates how there may be no greater test in parenting than trekking around the globe with your adult daughters. Uh, She's an award-winning author. As a social worker in practice, she's been helping others negotiate the terrain of relationships and connections for over 35 years. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Meg. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks very much for having me. well, I'm a world traveler myself, so I was really intrigued by the topic. And actually, I listened to your book on Audible. I loved it. And then after finishing oh, that, I started the book, your older book about cancer. So, but that's another day. Uh, but okay, so this is a great book. Who will accompany you, my mother-daughter? Journeys far from home and close to the heart. Let's start from the beginning of the book. You have these two great daughters, and uh, very close to them, both you and your husband, but they have that adventurous spirit, same as you, but it's different when they want to go. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) let's start with the first adventure uh, with your daughter who decides to go to the Himalayas. Right. uh, Just Kate presented her idea about, for her senior project, her idea, a senior in high school project about um, studying the question, what is happiness? And she thought it would be a good idea to study meditation in Buddhism in a monastery, Kopan Monastery in Kathmandu. And uh, we didn't pay too much attention until she had an itinerary and uh, other places that she was going to go and uh, really wanted to support her, but could not just send her off. She had just turned 17. So it seemed like the thing to go, like the thing to me to just go along and trek to the Annapurna base camp while she was meditating at Copan. So that's what happened. I I thought that was very clever. I don't know if the word is clever. Like you decided how you could go, but not actually go and be there every day with her, but to sort of do a parallel trip with her so that you too are getting something out of it, but even in a different way. I mean, I think that's that's very creative. Uh, uh, many parents don't think of that. It's either yes, you can go, or no, you absolutely can't go, and you have to wait till you get in college or graduate from college. But you sort of came up with that idea, which I thought was re- I, I really liked that. And uh, how did you, uh, how did explain to listeners how did you come up with that idea? Like, okay, uh, you're not going alone, but I'm not ex- going to be lying in the bed beside you either. I'm going to take my own kind of trip. Uh, it fits perfectly with my own desires because <laughs> I love to travel and I love to adventure. And I remembered being 16 
and wanting to go to Greece with my friends, which my parents just nixed out of hand, which I can totally understand. Uh, but here she was, 17, and she had the, the guts to want to take on this kind of a challenge. And I love the idea of supporting her in some way, but it also provided an opportunity for me to do something that I love, which is uh, to hike and to trek. So it was a little selfish on my part to (laughs) include myself, but it it provided an incredible opportunity for the two of us. Just the travel there and back took a couple of days. And we had a couple of days in Kathmandu and then our three days in Bhutan also, which was thrilling. And in, that you were with a friend as well. You were with somebody that, that you were close to, right? We were, my friend Lisa was from, uh, uh, actually we had taken a coaching, co- we were part of a cohort group for executive coaching. And there were uh, several of us that continued meeting. So I knew her from that context, but we actually had never even gone out to lunch together before that. And she was in Hong Kong for two years with her husband. And I emailed her and said, what do you think about taking a trek to the Annapurna Base Camp? And uh, she was totally game and said, well, it would have to be between these dates. And that exactly fit with the dates that we were going to be there. So it it fell into place very quickly and easily. And I knew that she would be great to, to travel with. So it was a real opportunity to spend time with her as well. You didn't try to convince your daughter to say, why can't you go to Greece now? I mean, that would be much, or go to Paris or go to London. Why do you have to go to Kathmandu? Why do you have to go to the Himalayas? Not trying to talk her out of it, because that's another, I think, uh, path that many parents try to do. And, and that, yeah, and that's a very different kind of a trip and experience, right? Um, so. Yeah. And yeah. she had actually she had already presented that she knew that she could go to a meditation course in Western Mass. We live in um, in Massachusetts, about thirty five miles northwest of Boston, and within a couple of hours' drive, there are really wonderful meditation centers. But she really wanted to challenge herself with the international experience, so. I wanted to support that. That was an additional challenge for her. And that was the the biggest takeaway for her ended up being as much as she appreciated the course. She really loved meeting people from all over the world, from Australia, India, Germany, uh, all over the place. And she was the youngest by several years. Meg, how did you accomplish this as a parent, as a mother, to be able to be close to your daughter, but at the same time encourage that kind of independence and to want to do that? As you say, she wanted this international experience. Uh, she had some real foresight into what she would get out of it or get from it. And that balance is not easy, mother and daughter. I have three sons, so I'm really asking you the question, mother and daughter, a different <laughs> relationship. Yeah. Uh different in some ways, although certainly both children. And I've, I've thought a lot about how much was intentional about what I tried to convey to them and how much they just absorbed from being around us, because I think we all do both. We can be very clear about what our expectations in certain areas are. But if we 
love to ski and say, let's go skiing, they're going to just absorb that from us. Or if we're excited about putting on music or going out to a restaurant, they're going to get that whether or not we're intending for them to understand it or not. So I think there was a little bit of both. They could certainly absorb my love of travel and and knew that I had lived in different places and traveled to different places. And uh, and the trip that we took to Mexico to visit my mom when she was there for a few months was pivotal for both of them and actually going somewhere and inspiring that spark to want to see more and meet people from other places. I think that's critical. I mean, I think I also, as you say, yes, I have three sons. There isn't a difference in the way you're describing that kind of a situation. You love to travel, you take your kids traveling, then they also love to travel. And and I, I want to comment, you said uh, about if you like to do something, there's a selfish, a good selfish piece to it. I used to say, I don't like to sit and watch soccer games. I love to ski. And you did mention skiing. So just mm-hmm. to pick up on what you said, we're going to ski every weekend because I love it. I'm not going to, and we did, and they loved it. There are those kinds of choices is doing the things that you like to do with your kids. And then they sort of Mm -hmm. take on that same, yeah, that same feeling or that same fix. That's really important. But uh, now... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm not a guarantee that they're necessarily going to like it. I remember with skiing, the first time we took Gail for a lesson, she was not really into it. We said, okay, you have to try it once and then... We'll see where we go from there. And she yeah. came back and said, oh, it was the best thing I've ever done. So it can, it can be tricky, but yeah. um, some of that enthusiasm tends yeah. to impart. Or they can say, I'm never skiing again after the <laughs> My parents right. made me ski right. <laughs> every, uh, but that's a different story, right? So now, okay, so that without, because I don't want to give away the book uh, necessarily, give the contents of the book or the story, but now that you've, you know, there are years you've been able to reflect on the whole experience. Have others, you know, immediately after the trip, obviously, or during, you're talking to your daughter about what's going on and, and, the, and the, the emotions and the whole experience itself. How about later, afterwards? What, what, what did you or she gain from it? What really ma- made a difference in your relationship having gone through this experience in the Himalayas with her? I think the the thing that that really shifted was subtle in a way. It wasn't we weren't going to seek a repair or a dramatic change, but it definitely deepened our connection. And having experienced something new and being far away at the same time definitely helped with a with part of an unspoken connection and just knowing what each other had experienced in some way. So it was uh it was a, a lovely thing to have the time together when we were in Bhutan or even in Nepal, but to be meeting some of the same people and, and when we when we got back we both had the same experience with the jet lag. In, in the late afternoon, we were both absolutely unable to move, and it was sort of hit out of nowhere. And just just some of those the little the little things, as well as the deeper things about knowing what else is out there in the world, what some of the beauty is that can be found. 
How does that fit in with your relationship with your husband and her relationship with her father? Because he didn't experience that. And this this is a made a big impact right. on your life, obviously, because you wrote the book. So, yeah, what was the impact on him and his relationship with the two of you? Uh, it was certainly a negotiation. And at the at the time that I went, uh, he may have considered going. He really didn't feel like he could take three weeks off. That was the first time I had taken three weeks off since before kids. And he didn't feel like he would be able to um, take that much time off. But being the person that stayed behind, it meant that we could tell him about it. And that was really fun. He was the person that was here and he's a good listener. So it was nice to be able to uh, share with him some of the things that we had experienced together. And it also did inspire him to want to go the next time. So when Kate, after high school, took a couple of years before college, partly as a result of that trip, he definitely wanted to come along to go to South Africa when she was living there for six months. And we went together to visit her when she was up in Australia and living there. So I think it definitely teed up other trips, which was great. Which is, yeah, great, great experience. Now, Gail, Gail went to Colombia. Let's talk about that trip. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, uh, I spent six months in Colombia. I, I related to that, really related to oh, that wow. trip. Yes, at age 22, 24, I guess. But anyway, that's my oh, story. I want to hear your story. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were really hoping that Gail would not accept the job that she did in the northwestern remote corner of Colombia, where she was accompanying people who were living in an intentionally peaceful community where they were not aligned with the military, paramilitary, or the guerrillas. And it was terrifying to think about her being there. But it was something that was important to her and uh, that's part of why I wanted to go visit, was to have my own feet on the ground to see yeah. what it was actually like there. Again, also fulfilling my love of of travel. So you went there, and that is pretty scary stuff. And I think anybody who hasn't been to Colombia uh, doesn't realize uh, how the the military, the paramilitary, how things can change in a minute, and uh, and you're not well protected. So that's pretty scary. Um, so she, you know, one of the things that you did, well, and I'm thinking about my own experience, you talked about all the, you know, the male, female, she's a female in a country where they, uh, you know, if, if you're dressed in, they respond to everything you're dressed in and there's, there's all kinds of stuff that's, uh, uh right. kind of scary for right. a young, attractive woman. Right. Um, the one thing that she didn't mention or that you didn't mention that I wondered culturally, because we're talking about different countries, was the difference uh, a response to time. I know that I got so, I don't know if disoriented is the word. People would say, oh, we'll be here in a couple hours. That could be a couple days. So you're preparing someone to come to your house or tent or whatever you're living in, and, and they never show up because the, the concept, it's very different in terms of, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I uh, don't think you mentioned that in the book. That was a huge thing for me. But uh, And maybe it's different now because that was many years ago. 
That's an interesting question, actually, because you're right. Uh, I don't think either of us talked about it, but I remember when I lived in France for a semester, it it frustrated me no end because we'd agree to meet people at a cafe and they definitely felt like they were on time if they were there 40 minutes late. And I tend to be a prompt person anyway. Uh, But I don't think it was too much of an issue or, or at least she got used to it because you're right. She doesn't really talk about it. And um, things like bus times were, I think fairly prompt, but she didn't have to take them on a regular basis, meaning like on a daily basis. When she was living in the community, she was mostly literally walking because she was a 45-minute open-air Jeep ride and then an hour-and-a-half hike up to the community. So the Jeep ride, that was on a schedule, and that would be fairly close. But other things were just on people's um, 6 to 6 o'clock because the sun rises and sets at very similar time because it's so close to the equator. So the time is really dictated by that. But you're right. I, I didn't hear a lot of frustration about the looseness of keeping close track of time. So that what would you say uh, to those who would consider or have their daughters consider having that kind of an experience and what would in a country that you kind of briefly described what it's like, what was like for her, uh, just in terms of medical attention, connection, communication, uh, political stuff, uh, a young girl trying to do her work uh, and in that kind of a context. I mean, would you recommend that for somebody as somebody else's daughter? I think it would really depend on the person going and that person being really clear about what they're doing and why they want to be there. Cause it is a beautiful country with a lot of amazing and friendly people as well. So there are lots of reasons to visit Columbia. Gail was really passionate about the social justice piece of it. And she spent a week in Bogota in the, where the headquarters of her agency were uh, several months beforehand to see if it felt like a good fit. And she, it could not have completely predicted what it would be like for her, but it at least gave her confidence in the agency itself and in knowing that a lot of precautions were taken. They did a lot of screening of the requests for accompaniment that were asked. And and she was aware as much as she could be about some of the difficulties she would encounter. And some of it, I, I think she couldn't have been prepared for. But I would say, do your research and talk to people about what it's like and if it feels like a, a good fit for you. She She certainly would not have traded it for anything. She really loved her time both in the community for nine months and then in Bogota and headquarters more on the policy end. What was her biggest surprise, would you say? Or the, the maybe the biggest surprise and what was the most difficult thing she felt she had to contend with? Hmm. Um, I probably should be asking her. <laughs> right, right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would know what the biggest yeah. surprise was. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that she anticipated um, 
enjoying meeting people. I think she could not have known uh, after being there for several months how difficult it would be to remain neutral. Part of what was important for them was that they not have opinions about what people do, to give them information, but to not advise. And I think that that once they were there for a while and really cared about people and understood the situation and had opinions about the best way for them to go, they really had to try and refrain from um, from just advising outright. And also secrets, that was a big thing for her because she doesn't like to keep secrets. And it was a part of the way of life for them that sometimes they need to be secretive in order to keep safe. And that was uh, that was both a surprise and difficult. And I know that there were also difficulties learning about what had happened with some of the people and the way some of the people died or were dismembered and, and things that she actually kept from us partly as a way to protect us. I think secrets is a, is a big thing in the culture. And that to me, it brings up two things. And I think you, 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 maybe you said it, but respecting other people's cultures and really ha- realizing I'm living here, I have to respect their culture. At the same time, there's so many things that I don't dis- I, that I disagree with, and I'm trying to make changes. And that's a, a you know, a, a sort of that's a difficult um, thing to balance. I think uh, that's that's yeah. when you're in country and you're trying to accomplish what Sigil is trying to accomplish. Secrets, too, but secrets are also part of the Colombian culture. And not just right. whether somebody, political secrets, but just in terms of family secrets. You know, the intrigue, romances, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I always found that c- c- Colombian culture loves that kind of stuff. You know, this, this, um, the, the secrecy of things. That's, yeah, I think you hit on both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and she had to... to suss out which were the secrets that they wanted her to find out and which were the secrets that they didn't want her to know. So it was very nuanced kind of discernment there. Intriguing. What are, not, not easy. What are the girls doing now? We don't have that much time left. Um, Gail has been teaching Spanish at the high school level and in one charter school. And this year she started actually back at the at Parker where she and Kate both attended and she's the the domain leader there so she is still immersed in the culture because she includes the culture greatly in in how she teaches sort of in a in a whole language kind of way and Kate has been in various places but is now back in the Boston area also living in Somerville where, where Gail on the other side of, of town where Gail lives. And she has started a graduate program in speech and language pathology. So she's very excited about that. And she, she wants to work with really young kids in early intervention. So, And they also came their, back to where you, yeah. close to where you live. They came back to mother after all of those adventures, right? You live outside of Boston. So that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Somerville, living in Somerville. to have that within just just a half hour, a little over a half hour away. It's really yeah. nice to have them close by. Well, I've, 
No, I didn't read. I've listened to both of your books. So uh, is there uh, another book uh, coming up in the future or anything we should be looking out for? I am just in the early stages of exploring with the editor who I worked with, who I would really appreciate and who really helped me put our voices together with this book, who will accompany you in a very balanced way. And I have written a column for many years, which has which turned into a blog in the last 10 years, where I post my columns about all kinds of things that I observe. And some of the some of my thoughts about the book or that turned into the book are on there. And we're talking about putting together a book of columns with some material in between to organize them and tee them up. So uh, it goes back to when the girls are very young. It spans over 35 years. So I'm very excited about that. I don't know when that will come out, but I'm hoping either late next year or possibly early in 2024. So not too long. Okay, great. Definitely looking forward to that. Now a website and or websites we can go to to follow you. Yes. So my website is my name, www.megstafford.com. And you can also get there via whowillaccompanyyou.com. Take you right in my website. Great. Meg Stafford. She's the author right. who will accompany yep, who will accompany you, my mother daughter journeys far from home and close to the heart. Um, I recommend it highly. Read it or listen to it on Audible. Great. Thanks, Thank Meg. Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 